Trump decided to close his borders and revenue dropped 95% overnight. Our entire net worth as a family was tied up in the business on the edge of bankruptcy. We had thousands of customers emailing us, calling us, asking for refunds. There's always a way to save your business. You've just got to find it. Welcome to the very first UKTM podcast. I'm your host, Mark McDonough. For anyone who doesn't know me, I co-founded a company called The Startup Van, where I've interviewed over 3,000 founders, which has gone on to receive over 60 million views online. My first guest on the show is an entrepreneur by the name of Rada Viaz. She is the co-founder and CEO of adventure holiday company Flashpack. I invited Rada on the show because I wanted to talk about something that most entrepreneurs can relate to, which is failure and closing down a company. I know I can relate to it because I had to close down the startup van back in 2020. On the show, Rada tells me how she was able to grow her business in just three years to over 20 million turnover. She had four offers on the table with a 10 million Series A round going into lockdown. COVID hit and the offers were pulled. She lost 95% of her business overnight. Five months later, the company went into administration. She was then able to remortgage her house, buy back the assets to relaunch the business. She's recently closed a multi-million pound round and is on target to hit 20 million turnover again in year one. This is the UKTN podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncapped solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. Might be a nice idea if... If we could actually talk about how you grew um, Flashpack, because you launched the company in 2014 and you built it right up. But I'd love an understanding as to how you did that. Yeah, well, we 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 launched officially in 2014, but it was pretty much a side hustle. We had Lee and I, the other co-founder, had other businesses that we were running. So it was a bit of a side hustle. And it was it was going really, really well. We raised two hundred and fifty thousand pounds in two thousand and sixteen. Okay. And we, we basically folded our other businesses and went all in to Flashpack at that point. So we'd only been running it full time since two thousand sixteen. What were the other businesses? Um Lee had a photography, he was a freelance uh, photojournalist, so he was covering all the breaking world news and news stories across the world. So anything from just Japan tsunami to war in Libya, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. And I had a fundraising business, but fundraising for the third sector. Um, and we we folded those and went full time into Flashpack. And we grew the business essentially um, ourselves to 55 staff or just under 60 staff and 20 million turnover just before the pandemic hit. So it was just under four years. And we we just completely bootstrapped it ourselves. Was that 20 million a year you were were bringing in turnover? Yeah, so we hit 20 million just before the pandemic. 
And what was what were previous years like? Like, how long did it take you to build it up to that? So we hit our first million um, in 2016 once we raised the 250,000. And then we were essentially kind of, you know, at times forexing the business. Um, so just under three and a half years, we got from one to 20 million. How did you build it up? Um, completely ourselves, um, but it was on social media. We're a social, we're a social first business. Right. Okay. So, like, was there anything that really worked for you? Because I, I normally find when I talk to founders about how they how they grew their business, they they were growing, and depending on the business, it was growing at a certain percentage each year. But then they normally find that there was one thing that really caused the company to to accelerate. Was was there anything that that stuck out in your mind or that does stick out in your mind what really helped you to to get to that 20 million I mean there was an inflection point in our growth and it was it did look like the perfect hockey stick there was an inflection point there were a couple the the main one I think was in 2016 when we raised that money and we went full-time into the business right um which which makes sense but we were we were always a social first business we launched the business on the back of a selfie we were running out of cash. We invested an initial kind of 15,000, 20,000 in the business and we were running out of cash rapidly in the first year. Nothing much was happening. You know, we had a very high average transaction value and trying to convince people to book with us was really difficult in the early days. We had no reviews. We had no social proof. And Lee had this crazy idea to spend our last kind of thousand pounds on flying to Rio <laughs> just before the World Cup. And he convinced the Archdiocese um, of Brazil to climb Christ Redeemer statue. And he climbed to the top, took a selfie, and we sat on it for about a month and a half and released it to the press a month before the World Cup. Yeah. And it went insane. I mean, we got 10 million hits to our website in a week. We were covered by every national newspaper in the world. He was running around doing TV interviews everywhere. And I was, I spent an entire week emailing journalists saying, yes, you can have the picture, but please give us a backlink. And that's how we got started. So we've always been a kind of social first viral business. And that's when you were run. that's where you were running out of money. So you spent the last thousand on the trip. You got the photo. You got thousands of of uh, or what would you said? You got ten million hits yeah, to the 10 website. Yeah, million hits in just over a week, I think. Yeah. And and what did that do for business? Yeah, it just you know, we bookings were coming in. Initially, we thought it was might be spam. You know, it just went crazy. It just got us our uh, our initial traction. And how how did you? Because obviously, you you said you got up to just under sixty staff, um, team members. How did you grow those then? Like what, what speed, like year one you had, it, it, I take it, it was, it was both of you, but then when did you start hiring people and at what stage did the numbers start ramping up there? Yeah, good question. You're taking me back a bit now, but um, we hired our first employee in 2016. I think in 2017, we had maybe like 10 staff, 2018, 20 staff, and then we ramped up to 60 staff within a year okay so i want to get on to the the point of of covid and and the pandemic and and lockdown because the business that you're in is is obviously one that's going to be affected massively um traveling and also you're introducing uh strangers to each other you know so this uh, for people traveling alone uh, meeting up with others traveling with them when when lockdown first started um or when covid first hit 
how long was it till you really felt the impact? Yeah, we started feeling the impact in January 2020 because we had to start cancelling all our adventures to China and Japan. And for the first time in our history, our growth started flatlining. We thought there was an issue with the website. We did this whole deep dive into website conversion and realized that actually customers were hesitating in booking any trips to Asia, which was our best performing part of our portfolio at the time. It it dived like 67% or something. Um, So our growth started flatlining in Jan. Growth started declining in February. And we started noticing customers asking for refunds and hesitating in booking. And then on March the 13th, Friday, March the 13th, Trump decided to close his borders and revenue dropped 95% overnight, just fell off a cliff. And and what did you do? Because obviously you had you had team members that you were looking after, you had a business that you were building, and it's never easy um, because you're also in the position of of giving money back with the refunds. So so what did you do when that happened? Like because obviously there's a lot to address there, really, isn't there? You know, especially with with paying bills, paying staff. So what way did you approach it? Yeah, it was utter chaos. So just to take a step back, um, just before the pandemic, we were in the middle of our Series A, 10 million Series A. As you can imagine, there aren't that many businesses that can bootstrap to 20 million turnover um, in a year. Not many at all. Not Not many. many. So we were pretty hot property. We were being solicited by VCs on both sides of the Atlantic. We had four offers from UK, European VCs. We had Silicon Valley VCs telling me, They'd fly over to London to meet us as soon as COVID was over and they weren't taking COVID seriously. I had presents and gifts in the post from Excel, from Index. I mean, we were flying high. Um, When was this now? What dates? Are we talking January and February, March? Yeah, so in January, as soon as Christmas was over, Lee and I went out and started doing teaser kind of meetings with VCs all throughout January. And then Mm. in February, we had selected four to take through to the next dd stage um so we so that was in feb and then you know we were just about to go into dd um in march when the borders closed and everything fell through uh, what what type of response were you getting from vcs because as you were you were a, a travel company uh, a venture uh, travel and you know there was the impact that was happening within china you know going into lockdown over there and with COVID hitting. So what type of response were you getting from them? Because obviously you had people that were interested and they were saying that once COVID is over, but were others, you know, just kind of going, look, we don't want to talk about this at all until we know what's happening. Until March the 13th, nobody over here was taking COVID seriously To give you an example, we were in a meeting with Excel and they asked us what keeps us up at night. And Lee said macro issues like COVID and they brushed it off. They laughed and said, oh, no. Well, yeah, sure, sure, sure. What else? (laughs) Mm. Um, So nobody was taking it seriously. So the announcement went into lockdown. What happened then with the VCs? So everything fell through. You know, all the meetings in the diaries got cancelled. Everyone was panicking right? Nobody understood what the impact was of COVID on their business. 
the entire travel industry were trying to manage, everyone was trying to manage their own losses. We had thousands of customers who we had to repatriate that were stranded abroad, Costa Rica, Morocco, you know, everywhere. We had thousands of customers emailing us, calling us, asking for refunds. It was it was absolutely crazy. In tandem, we had to think about downsizing our team because revenue had dropped off a cliff. So with downsizing the team, how how much of the team were you thinking of letting go? Yeah, um, well, initially, I think for the first couple of days, we thought, oh, we just need to, you know, we just need to cut a bit of fat. Then we thought, mm, no, okay, probably need to cut down to the flesh. And then a few days later, I mean, things were happening this fast, we realized we're going to have to cut down to the bone. It was, it was devastating. We had to keep on a kind of core lights on team to support customers. But essentially, we furloughed everyone except a core team of 15 people. What, what do you think would have happened if, you know, if you, if you had gone looking for money, say, in December and you closed something in January? Um, your business still would have been affected, right? But do you think you would have just had the money sitting there, keeping the lights on? Um, because, you know, we're, we're what? We're we're over two years in now and things are starting to come back now slowly and short, but surely. And probably, you know, you, you, you'd uh, better have, uh, you'd have better data on that than I would. Mm. But do you, do you think the business like obviously the they you wouldn't have gone into administration but what do you think might have happened there because you would have had to close the doors while all of this panned out yeah exactly i think we would have been in a totally different position if we had just started fundraising earlier or if covid had hit later like the timing was brutal hmm. um we probably would have been forced to downsize the team because no matter how much money you've got in the bank you can't just you can't just kind of swallow those costs, right? If you're making no revenue, but we would have been in a position where we could have made strategic acquisitions. We could have focused on building better infrastructure and, and tech, you know, things that were difficult to do while the, the kind of planes in the air. Um, so yeah, we would have been in a fantastic position. Yeah. Cause I know I read in an article that VCs had valued the company at 55 million at that stage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Okay. So, November 2020, I think it is, when you actually cease trading. What was that like? Because I, I too went through something similar with, with the startup van when we, we closed down due to COVID uh, for a, num- a number of reasons. But I remember that feeling of this is actually happening. We're not going to be, you know, the startup van anymore and we're moving on and with a lot of things closing down that's when the work starts because there's so much that has to happen in the back in the back end and um, but i'd love to get an understanding how you felt how both you and your husband lee felt when you decided right because i know you did it as a, as a, a, a strategic move as well um but how did you feel that day um just pretty numb to be honest i think we had spent six or seven months at that point speaking to 62 different investors. We had run a kind of dual process. We continued fundraising. There were still a couple of VCs who were still interested in investing in us or, you know, said they were interested in investing in us. 
probably saw quite a big deal, right? It had to climb down from the 55 million valuation that I was getting just a few months earlier. So we continued that process. In tandem, we tried to kind of do a fire sale, get an acquisition. In total, we spoke to 62 investors. Uh, everyone said no over the course of six months. And then the day came where we just had to face facts that we had tried everything and it was time to call it a day. Then that day was pretty horrendous. Um, I have to, I have to admit. And then the day we actually put the business into administration, Lee decided the strategy would be to be completely transparent about it to our community and announce it on social media and send out a send out an email to our database. And that was harrowing. <laughs> um, just, imagine, you know, yeah. Because we could have, we were a big brand amongst our demographic, but we weren't a huge kind of household brand um, in the UK. So we could have flown under the radar, but Lee was adamant that we had to own the narrative ourselves and be transparent to our community, which is the way we had kind of de- dealt with COVID throughout. Like we were really honest with our customers with what was happening within the company that was really nerve wracking. But once we'd ripped the plaster off, a whole community of customers came to our, like came to support us. You know, there was a whole wave of support on social media, amazing positive emails. And that really supported us during that darkest time. Telling customers and and, and users is one thing. It, it must have been difficult talking to the team. Uh, letting people go what what size were you at this stage because I know you would you would reduce the team slightly so on the day you decide you were going into administration um how did you go about telling other team members um because I, I take it at this stage everyone was still you know uh, online working remotely like did you have to do it over zoom were you calling people did you did you do it in, in a group call I, I'm just curious as to because I know these things are difficult. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, that was really, really difficult. So we, I feel like we made a really good decision. When the borders first closed, we didn't panic and make everyone redundant. We waited. It was just a gut feeling that we should wait. And luckily the furlough scheme came out three weeks later and we were able to just put everyone on furlough to give everyone some breathing space. The last thing I wanted to do was send our employees out there on the open market when the whole travel industry was pretty much decimated. So that gave everyone a lot of time, breathing space. And then we kept up communication with the team on a weekly basis, letting them know what was happening with fundraising. Every time we had new meetings with funders, we would tell them we had new meetings. If they didn't go well, we would tell them when another door had closed, try to keep them as informed as possible so they could make the right decision for themselves. By the time we went into administration, many of them had left and moved on. Like, thankfully, the Flashback brand was, was you know, it was a powerful kind of brand on your CV. So most, most staff had found jobs outside of the travel industry. There were still a few left and we had, we had to make redundancies over, over Zoom. And it was really difficult. We did it on an individual basis. Um, you know, just try to thank everybody for for everything they'd done. Many of them had worked tirelessly to support our customers with no reward at the end of it, right? The company has still kind of failed. Um, and that was a huge responsibility on mine and Lee's shoulders. And it was really difficult to do it over Zoom. I mean, I'm not ashamed to admit that when we did initially 
furlough everybody. Um, I shed a few tears and so did most of the team. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful that most of them were able to, they had some time to move on um, and we didn't make them redundant as soon as the pandemic hit. Yeah, no, of course. And as I said, it, it's never easy to to do anything like that. It's one thing you making a decision to go into administration and you knowing that you you're this is a decision that you're making and what you're doing. It's the knock on effect that that's never easy having to pull people aside and, and, and kind of tell them what's happening and seeing them upset because, as you said, they've invested time and energy and effort in, into the business as well. Um, any any anyone take it badly a quick sponsor reminder if you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity uncap solve this problem to find out more go to weareuncapped.com forward slash uktn and to avail of a 10 percent discount off your fees use the code uktn10 that's uktn10 yeah you know i think everyone understood but it's really hard in these situations not to take it personally when we furloughed most of the team and kept on a core kind of 15 I I think some individuals felt why wasn't I kept on I worked really hard but you know it it was never an easy decision it wasn't personal it's just very strategic on what work what tasks need to be done and who's most specialist at doing those tasks and that's how we made the decision right but I think it is hard like any kind of redundancy situation even in such an extreme situation of covid People do take it personally. They they loved working for Flashpack and they were heavily invested, emotionally invested in Flashpack. So, um, but I do I do think, you know, after time had passed, everyone realised that it was it was inevitable and it wasn't personal. Were there government grants you were able to take advantage of? No, we fell through the cracks of everything. So we had, I can't remember what the scheme's called now because it feels like such a long time ago. But it was there was a scheme, wasn't there, where your funders could put in 50% and the government would match whatever whatever your VC had put in. But we didn't have any VCs to turn to. Um, so we fell through that. We weren't profitable. So we couldn't, you know, we applied for Siebel's loan, but we were, we failed, um, failed the test for that. We fell through absolutely every scheme that was out there. And as I said, like I went through something similar and there was so much work that needed to be done with the accountancy side of things. I've never put a company into administration, so I don't know how much work is involved there. Does it take a, a lot of your time uh, going into administration on what you need to do, going through the book, sitting down with accountants, the whole lot? Yeah, I mean, we were dealing, I think we're still dealing with um, some aspects of the administration. So it takes, in all, it's taken just over a year to fully complete it. I think the business has now been properly liquidated but um, it was mo- it was very complex in our case because Lee predominantly spent pretty much every single day for a year helping customers through quite a complex refund process to ensure that nobody lost out. So, yeah, it was a huge amount of work. I was going to ask, and I don't want to get personal on these things, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a husband and wife team. Mm-hmm. There's, there's both of you in it, meaning that it, when the company is going into administration, both of you are being affected and both of you are being affected financially. Um, and this is the side of lockdown that is, is, you know, so unhealthy where you're living together, you're working together 
and now you're going into administration together, I'm sure that brings some sort of relationship stress because you 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 had a a baby girl, I believe, um, yeah. and both of you are trying to run the business, save the business, at the same time then going into administration. Um, you're working in the morning. Your husband Lee is looking after your your daughter. And then you're looking after your daughter and your husband, Lee, is working on the business. So what was that like mentally for both of you? Um, it was a humongous strain on our on our relationship, on our mental health, on our relationship with our toddler. You know, we we're battling guilt that we couldn't spend time with her. She had just turned one and learned to walk and we were putting her in front of the TV. I mean, I can't I can't listen to Coco Melon anymore because it takes me straight back to that dark time. Um, but you know, she was watching a lot of TV while we were trying to juggle VC meetings. We haven't got any support in London, family support. I've got my sister around the corner and she tried to help as much as possible, but obviously we were restricted in terms of bubbles. When the lockdown first happened, we did have to send our toddler to stay with my sister in Milton Keynes for two weeks because we needed to spend every waking hour on trying to save the business. And we just not easy. The toddler. No, it was and we huge. We missed her so much. And, and it was really difficult to kind of see her on the end of a on the end of a call, you know, FaceTime every day. But we had to kind of prioritize and get through it. But then during the whole pandemic, um, we, you know, we we live in a London flat, so we're just constantly on top of each other. So I would lock ourselves, I'd, I'd lock myself in our basement in the morning and f- try and find a funder <laughs> to back our vision for community travel just months after we'd gone bankrupt. And then we'd swap in the afternoon and Lee would look, you know, look after customers and try and save the brand. And it was so tiring. It was so tiring while also trying to stay positive, to try and, you know, try and manage our own stress. I mean, look, I, we were, we were just, we weren't sleeping, we were eating too much, we were drinking too much, you know, it was, it was, it was horrendous. See, it's reasons like this that I do the podcast. Um, and I love talking to founders because no one sees what's happening behind closed doors. You know, no one really has an understanding what you're going through, you know, and you're lucky in a way as well that you have each other that you're going through this together, that you're able to support each other. But again, you also both, you're both going to have a bad day on the same day. You know, it can't always be one up, one down, and you're you're able to, to help each other out. So it must be extremely difficult when you're both having a bad day. As I said, you didn't even get to see your child for two weeks. Well, that's exactly it. So the great thing about being in business together is that you never feel misunderstood, like you never have to explain why 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 you're in a bad mood <laughs> so that's a good thing but when you're you know when you're kind of feeling depressed and you're in a dark place you're in it together so you can't pull each other out of it so that's really difficult and then also there's a financial strain right taking huge financial risk being in the business together we had been living off founder salaries for years our entire net worth as a family was tied up in the business on the edge of bankruptcy, we didn't even know if we'd be able to go out there and find a job. That entire industry had been decimated. It was, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we were having chats about moving back to my parents in Milton Keynes because we're on the edge of losing our home. Yeah, because like, I suppose that when people hear the, the turnover of 20 million, they think that everything is going great. But 
I think I read somewhere that you were turning over 20 million, but you were you still weren't profitable yet. So as you said, you're still on founder salaries. Um, and now you're going you're you're in lockdown then going into administration. Um I don't know if you were able to furlough yourselves at that time. Um can't can't have been easy. But let's talk now about um the relaunch. You were able to buy back the assets for the company so as you could bring Flashpack back. Um how did you do that? Because I did read somewhere that you you remortgaged the house um and you borrowed money from friends and family. Um how how was that? Was that difficult? Yeah, it was. Um, making the decision was difficult, but we felt that we were already on the edge of financial ruin and we'd taken huge financial risk and we just were not ready to give up the business we loved. So when there was an opportunity to bid on the assets, we just had to go for it. But as you can imagine, being a 20 million turnover business in 2019, um, we knew we knew we'd have to raise like quite a bit of capital to buy back the assets so we borrowed some money from Lee's parents um and some and and some from my family and friends as well we had some equity in the property and then we essentially remortgaged our house for for the rest to raise the funds luckily we just made the highest offer we could and luckily we were the highest bidder of three bidders and when we got the news it was like a nerve-wracking two weeks and when we got the news we were the highest bidders it was like we just we were just elated I mean we just went out and drank champagne that day it was it was amazing feeling to get the business back did did you know that this was going to be a potential plan or was it just one day decided should we do this and try and save the business yeah no we didn't even know that we would have the ability to um to bid on the assets as part of the process so when the administrator said well look did you know you could are you going to do you have the funds we just scrambled around um for about three weeks to a month i think we had to raise to raise the money when was that when did you find all this out um i think it was just end of september october um and then the business went into administration on the 4th of november so when you when you won the the and, and you were able to buy the assets back what next like where do you start from there because obviously you you knew that there was going to be an opportunity. We weren't going to be in lockdown forever. What, what was the next step? Yeah, the next step was finding a funder because essentially we were left holding the baby. We had very little personal runway. We had to take our toddler out of nursery. We couldn't afford to pay her nursery fees any longer. So that's when Lee and I decided, okay, let's divide and conquer I'll take the mornings in the basement, you take the afternoons. And um, eventually we found a funder who completely understood that all the trends that we had been capitalizing on pre-COVID, you know, kind of isolation, wanting more connection, wanting more meaningful friendships in your life. These were all trends that were going to be even more relevant after COVID. And um, yeah, so we we found a funder, we were in talks with them for a few months, and we completed the deal in June 2021. And just before the money hit the bank, Lee and I, it's no exaggeration to say Lee and I had £200 left in our joint account. Wow, you know, so like, like, that's like, talk about coming just at the right time. And it's, it's an exciting time as well, because 
the way I, I look at this is you nearly get to do it all over again, but with the learnings from version one, right? So you're going into this, number one, with all the learnings and now with funding, which you didn't manage to to, to close for version one. Um, did I read you also were able to bring back a lot of the original team? Yeah, that's right. We've rehired um, a core team of 10 people from the previous business, which was fantastic. 98% of our suppliers have come with us on the journey for Flashpack 2.0, as we're lovingly calling it. And we have an amazing community of customers, many of whom have rebooked as soon as we relaunched. Your social media, you still have the original social media handles, meaning you still have the original followers. Um, what has the engagement been like on that now that you you were able to come back? Has has it picked back up again? Because sometimes if 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 they're not being engaged with it, it falls off a little bit. So have you seen that come back? Yeah, I I don't think it's uh, the engagement is at the the levels it was pre pandemic because our engagement was insanely high, and so we have had to do a lot of kind of warm up campaigns. But it's definitely high for the fact that we haven't posted or engaged with our community for a year. We've hardly lost any followers. I think we've only lost a hand, you know, a couple of hundred across our social media f- um, following. And um, the engagement on our CRM database is also very, very high. There must be some impacts on the business that you're having now, as I said, that you've learned from from version 1.0, we'll call it, that you're bringing in to, to 2. What, what immediately springs to mind when you think of, the way you are running things now compared to how you ran the first one. Oh God, so many lessons learned, so many. Um, I'm sure we could do a podcast on that alone. Oh, seriously, so many. I could write a whole book on it. Um, the main lesson learned is take the money when you don't need it. There's nothing worse than scrambling around trying to find funding when you are desperate. We should have fundraised so much sooner. We bootstrapped for way too long. That's my biggest lesson learned. And that's what we'll be kind of addressing in the new business. We'll just keep on raising. And even if we don't really need it, we'll we'll behave as if we don't have it, right? Because constraints are really, really good. And VCs now, I mean, things have changed, right? VCs really want to see businesses that can do a lot with a little. Um, yeah. But, we, but we, will, we will definitely fundraise when we don't really need to. I've interviewed a, a number of VCs in the past and the number one thing they always say is to raise money, as you just said, when you don't need it. Because when you need it, it's normally too late and things take, take time. Something happens like like the pandemic happened, completely knocked, knocked it uh, around for you. Um, if you. When you're looking back now, why do you think you bootstrapped for so long? Look, if I can be completely honest, I wasn't confident that as an Asian female who was pregnant in 2000, early 2019, which is when all the VCs started soliciting us, right? I think our name just got out there and we started getting inundated with interest from VCs, but I had just become pregnant. Yeah. I didn't feel that... Um, I would be able to raise the kind of capital at the valuations that I would have wanted to um, being Asian, being female and being pregnant. And that was the reason we waited. Um, would it have been you going out alone trying to raise money? 
No, it would have been Lee as well. But as the CEO of the company, I felt that that it would go against me. So you were were you pleasantly surprised then when just before lockdown when VCs were willing to invest and had valued the the company at fifty five million? Yeah, you know, and it didn't it wasn't lost on me that I was probably one of the you know two percent of women that were getting funding, and I think the stats were even lower for ethnic founders. Um, but yeah, that definitely wasn't lost on me. But I it was a it was a deliberate strategy. I felt that we had to create a business that was completely irresistible that the VCs could not ignore for us to get those kind of valuations. Is there any advice you'd give to to any female founders listening to this now that might be thinking the same way you were about raising money? Yeah, I think in hindsight, I I would have gone out there and tested the waters. I was making assumptions rather than going out there and having conversations. I would definitely have the conversations first and see what the reaction is. I think there's a lot of, you know, work being done now in the VC community to um, shine a light on female-led businesses, how diverse, you know, diverse teams are more successful teams and profitable companies. Um, So they might be pleasantly surprised. Um, You know, I still think there's a long way to go, but definitely go out there and test the waters and have the conversations rather than making the assumption like I did. I'd also read that you're expecting near enough the same turnover uh, from from twenty or from twenty nineteen uh, to happen either this year or in early twenty twenty three. Is is that going to happen? Do you think? Yeah, we're currently tracking eighty percent of pre pandemic levels. It's pretty insane. We're going to have to get back to a team of forty to fifty by the end of this year. Um, the demand from 10 at the moment yeah we're 10 at the moment wow yeah Yeah. the challenge is (laughs) is intense but we've done it before we know how to scale luckily we're not going to be caught off guard by growth we know how to do growth and we've got more money in the bank now than we've ever had before right so we're in a good position lots of lessons learned we are very experienced founders now so i'm not worried about the challenge it's just intense You've scaled before, but you probably haven't scaled at the speed that you need to now. So how how are you planning on on finding the talent that you need and growing the business? As you said, you're 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 roughly 10 now, wanting to get to 30 or 40 by the end of the year, if not more. How do you plan on on scaling that quickly? Yeah, good question. Um we have been doing a lot of the recruiting so far ourselves, but that is that is really hard. In Flashpack 1.0, we didn't have the funds to hire a senior leadership first who could then hire the teams underneath them. So now we have money in the bank. I'm hiring the leadership team first so they can help with hiring and hiring their own teams, which is a much more attractive proposition for new talent coming in, especially in the tech team. We've just um, hired a head of product. We're looking for a head of engineering who can then build out um, the entire engineering culture and um you know, the team beneath them. So that's the that's the strategy. And then working with very good recruiters to to help us accelerate that plan. It's it's a great story. Um what what you've done, what you've achieved, um, how you built it from from bootstrapping it beginning in twenty fourteen, getting it right up to turnover of twenty million in twenty nineteen. Unfortunately the pandemic hitting 
causing you to go into administration. Um, not many people are hearing the side of the story that you're getting to tell today. And it's great that you've been able to come back even stronger than ever. Um, so congratulations on that. One question I want to end with is, and I ask this to, to a lot of founders, what book have you read um, that has had an impact, either positive or negative, um, on the business? And that can either be back version one or it can be, be version two. Um, in version one, the hard thing about hard things, like that was an incredible book. And it was, I reread, I've read it twice and I reread it um, during the pandemic. And there's a, there's a, there's a page in there which says, you know, there's always a way to save your business. You've just got to find it. And that's what inspired me and motivated me to find the solution in saving our business. Um, and in 2.0, I've just finished reading Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And I truly believe that by creating a culture where everyone feels safe, giving and receiving feedback in a really caring and nurturing atmosphere, that that will create the kind of competitive advantage against our competitors through our culture, right? And I really recommend anybody who hasn't read, read it to read it because it's. I think it will be the one thing that will completely differentiate Flashpack 2.0 from Flashpack 1.0. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor Uncapped offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Apply online, decision within 24 hours, make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.